Well, we're here in Numbers. Numbers uh, chapter 6 is the kind of part of the text that I want us to focus on in a special way, beginning in verse 22, but kind of a reminder where we are. In the first section of the book of Numbers, it begins in Numbers chapter 1, verse 1, and goes through verse 10 of chapter 10. We're talking about this, this time of preparation for the Israelites. They're around Mount Sinai, they're in the wilderness of sin, and they, they are preparing to do the things that God has called them to do. Chapters 1 through 4, we looked at last week, a census was taken, and we talked about the tabernacle there at the center of this, this people that have been called to do this task by God of entering the promised land. And then we're going to go and we're going to talk about, we're going to see in chapters 5 through 10, verse 10, uh, we're going to see this time of preparation, some different aspects of that. I encourage you to read those chapters on your own. But this morning, we're going to look more carefully, more specifically, at this prayer of blessing that occurs at the end of chapter 6, kind of there in the middle of this time of preparation, and, and think about what this prayer of blessing means to you and to me. So if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together, I'm going to begin in verse 22 of Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Father, we do ask for your blessing upon us. We recognize that it's in you and you alone that we find peace and blessing. Help us to think through these things very carefully this morning by your grace. Encourage those who are hurting as we we approach uh, these verses this morning. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think many of us would say that we struggle with feeling at peace. Many of us would would say it's hard for us to look at our lives and say, yeah, things, things things seem good. It's hard for us as we look at all the things we have to do, as we think about relationships. For many of us, and I'd probably say all of us at some point, it's hard for us to, to look at life and say, yes, life is, life is good, I'm, I'm at peace. There's a, a book that I think I've mentioned before by David Allen called Getting Things Done. And in his book, Getting Things Done, it's, it lays out this process for getting things done, or a GTD, as he, as he calls it, and people who kind of follow his method I call it GTD, getting things done. And, and it's all about having what he calls, one of the major objectives is to have what he calls a, a mind like water. In other words, you have all these things going on in your life, and this system allows you to get everything in its right place and organized and lists and, and a process for dealing with stuff and information and and projects and action steps, and you, you, you get all those things lined up, and then what do you have? You have a, a mind like water. Imagine 
going out at, at a lake on a fall morning. It's crisp and it's quiet. And you look out and what, what do you see? You see that lake. It's like, it's like glass. It's so smooth that if you were to take a little pebble and just throw it and plop, ripples would go out and it'd be like a little plop you could hear hundreds of yards away. It's that, it's that quiet. It's that peaceful. And he, he says the objective is to get your life to where things are, are like that. Your mind is, is at peace. Now, there's another book that I, I know I've mentioned before by, by Matt Perman called What's Best Next. And Matt Perman describes his process of implementing GTD, of, of getting things done. And he talks about how there were moments in his life as he was trying to implement this. There were moments of his life, like on a Friday afternoon, where he had that, that experience of, of mind like water. Things were at peace. Everything was where it was supposed to be. The problem was that it wasn't a, a lasting peace. Talks about how much work it was to get at that point and how he came to the realization that it was too much effort to get there. No matter how hard he, how, how hard he tried, he couldn't maintain it. He, he writes this. He says it's a myth. It's a myth that we will have peace of mind if we can get everything under control. The problem with this idea is that it doesn't work. It is simply not possible to have everything under control. And so the quest to base our peace of mind on our ability to control, control everything is futile. I don't know about you, but boy, can I relate to that. For some people, we would say, I struggle with having peace of mind in situations like that, where I have projects and there's chaos and there's, there's just all this to do and I can't get it done, and so I, I don't have peace. Some of us would say it's, it's at times where there's just, just busyness. I don't have peace. Others of us would say, well, for me, it's, it's when I'm bored. It's whenever there's a lack of things to do. I, I struggle with peace. Others of us would say, when I'm, when I'm by myself, when I'm lonely, I, I feel a lack of peace. Other people would say, well, for me, it's when I'm in a crowded room with a bunch of people at a party. That's where I lack peace. Some would say it's whenever I experience failure or rejection or illness for different People, it's different things. But whatever it is, we we say, boy, as I think about fill in the blank, there's not a sense of of wholeness, a sense of things being right. And so each of us tries different things to achieve that sense of, of peace. Some of us try pursuing pleasure. Others of us try pursuing getting things. Some of us try to uh, pursue relationships. We try to find peace in our family. We try to find peace in our jobs. We try various things, and yet we find peace is elusive. Simply put, what do we want? We want to be happy. We want to have what, what the Bible calls shalom, peace, wholeness, soundness, satisfaction, success. That's, that's what we want. What we're going to see this morning, and here's the, the main idea that I, that I want you to grasp as we look at this passage. It's God and only God who will bless you with peace. It's God and it's only God 
who will bless you with peace. Here we are in Numbers, as I mentioned earlier. Numbers chapter 1 through chapter 10, verse 10. It's, it's this section in which the people of Israel are, are prepared to go. In the, they're, they're preparing to go in the wilderness. They're there at Mount Sinai. We've talked about chapters 1 through 4. Now, as we kind of look at this section, chapter 5 is a section that describes purity in the camp. Chapter 6 describes something called a Nazarite vow, and that was a, a special obligation, a special promise a person could make to, to live their lives in a certain level of dedication. As a, as a lay person, they could do it for a period of time. Chapter 6 at the end is going to describe this, this blessing we'll look at more closely in a moment. Chapter 7 deals with the dedication of the tabernacle. Chapter 8 talks about the Levites. Chapter 9, the Passover. And the first few verses of chapter 10, talking about the making of the silver trumpets. All of this is, is about the people preparing the people preparing to do the ministry that God has called them to do. In the midst of that preparation, there's what? There's this, there's this blessing that God gives them. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this blessing, and we're going to talk about some truths that you and I can glean about God and about us from this blessing. But, but first, let's, let's talk about the blessing and and its structure a little bit. As you look there at your Bibles, or there at the screen if you can see it, there's the, this, this section begins in verse 22, and it goes through verse 27. And, and just notice a couple things. First of all, notice that within this section of Scripture, there's really three, three subsections. And each of the subsections has the word bless in it. The first section is kind of an introduction, and then the next section is the blessing itself, and then the, the last verse is kind of a conclusion to this. And these are the things that Aaron and his sons, the priests, are to say to the people of Israel. Now, now let's look at the blessing itself in, in more detail. Kind of look at this, this next slide here, and this next slide contains this, just the blessing itself. And see if there's a couple things you notice here as we look at the blessing. First of all, notice that the blessing is in three sections as well. There's, it's, it's a poetic blessing, and there's three lines of this poetic blessing. Now, you can't see this in the English translation, but it's kind of an interesting thing to, to note. The first line in the Hebrew, the language it was originally written in, the first line only contains three words in the Hebrew. The second line contains five words, and then the last line contains seven. So there's kind of like this increase of excitement as this blessing goes on. Another thing that you can't really tell from the English that I think is an important thing to to notice and, and to think about, in the Hebrew, the first word that appears in this blessing is the word bless, or the word that means he blesses. And then the last word is the word for peace. And in that first word and the last word, you really really see the the main point of the blessing. It's that God blesses with with peace. Another thing that I want you to notice as you you look at this is notice that it's, it's not a request that the Israelites are making of God. It's a blessing that God has given to them. It's, it's a statement. This, priests, is what I want you to tell my people. 
The people aren't saying, God, will you do this for us? God is saying, look, this, this is what I'm going to do for you. So what's, what's the difference between a, a request and a statement? Well, many times throughout the week, my children will come to me with, with requests, often for ice cream, right? Dad, how about some ice cream? Dad, how about some? Dad, I hear there's talk of ice cream. What do you think? You know? And sometimes I'll say yes, and sometimes I will say no. And, and hopefully my yes and my no is based upon what's, what's good for the family. You know, if I say, you know what, you had it for breakfast and lunch, maybe not supper. Um, you know, hopefully, my, and it's not, not based upon the fact that, no, there's just a little bit left, and I'm going to try to eat with your mom later uh, when you're asleep. I mean, hopefully my reasoning is, 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 comes from love, Okay. But there are requests that my, my children can ask of me, and I can say either yes or no based upon what I, what I think is best for them. Now, there are some statements that I make to my children that they don't even have to ask me about. So I can tell my children, I love you, and I'm going to take care of you. Dad loves you, and I'm going to do whatever I can to, to provide for you and to make you into the, the men and women that God desires you to be. Those are statements that I make. They don't have to ask about. That's, that's what I'm doing. Now, now here's, here's the thing about this poetic blessing. This is what God is saying to his people. I'm going to do this for you. And maybe some of you are saying, okay, Daniel, I know that in other parts of the Pentateuch, in other parts of these these books of the Bible that we're looking at, sometimes we've said, well, this is a message to the Israelites, not to us. And we can glean some things about God's character, but this isn't really written to us. Like, we're not supposed to go to the promised land and, and uh, conquer people. Like that was, that was an instruction given to the Israelites, not to us. We're not supposed to follow all these aspects of the law. We just find out things about God's character. So what about this blessing? What gives us confidence to know that God would bless us in similar ways? Here's, here's my confidence. A couple things, two things really. One, these blessings are directly tied to God's character. God shines, and so he's gracious. He lifts up his countenance, and so he gives it. So these things about God are, are tied to who he is, his character, and his character doesn't change. And the other thing that lets me know that this blessing is, is directly applicable to you and me is that these things that he promises to do, to keep, to be gracious, to give peace, those are things that are repeated in the New Testament as well. So I feel very comfortable saying that this is a blessing for you and for me this morning also. So on the basis of that, let's, let's walk through each of the lines of this poetic blessing, and let's, let's be encouraged by some truths that we see about God and our quest for peace. Number one is this. The first thing I want to encourage you with is this. God holds you, so he will keep you safe. The Lord bless you and keep you, the poetic blessing begins. God holds you so he will keep you safe. Now, also as we go through each line, we're going to kind of see two things. We're going to see, first of all, in the first part of the the poetic blessing line, we're going to see something about God, and as one person put it, God God and his movement toward his people. And the second part of the line, we're going to see how he acts based upon how he moves and who he is. Okay, so here we see that God is a God who he, he blesses, and so he's going to keep, or as I put it here, the word of encouragement, the truth of encouragement, God holds you so he will keep you safe. And you say, well, Daniel, how do, how do blessing and holding go together? How are those things related? Think about it this way. 
How does God have the power to bless? That word bless, as one person put it, when we say that God blesses, it means that he's empowering you to experience the life for which he has created and redeemed you. And as we've gone through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, anytime we see God blessing, we see that it, it, it carries with it this idea that the people that he's blessing, he's, he's holding in his hand, and he has the, the power to control their lives. So, for example, with, with Abraham, when he begins with Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you, we, we come to a passage like Genesis 17, and he's talking to Abraham, and he's talking about his wife, Sarah, and he says, I'm going to bless her, and moreover, I'm going to give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, I'm going to surely bless you. Now, without God having power, without God holding Abraham, those are just empty words. I, I bless you. I bless you. Who cares? Well, what, what does God say he's going to do in that blessing? He says, I'm going to multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the, the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. What we see here is that the one who can bless is the one who has the power. How do we see God's power displayed here in Numbers chapter 6? This idea that, that he's the one with the power to bless. That he's the one who's holding his people in his hands. Well, first of all, Who's the one who's giving, his, giving this blessing? It's not the priests. I mean, the, the priests are, are an instrument that God uses, but this, this blessing ultimately comes from God. The priests are to say some things, but as the priests stand up, it's not like they're saying, okay, uh, everybody, I'm a priest, and uh, here's, here's my word to you. Blessing. Blessing for you. Curse for you saw what you did to my donkey, and, you know, you owe me some money, and, you know, you bless, you bless, don't like the look of you, curse. That's not how the priest operates, right? The, God says, this is my message. Now, now you deliver it. On a Sunday morning at the end of the service, whenever, we, whenever I pray the prayer benediction, I don't say, all right, everybody, as a, as a pastor, I have some words for you now. And then, and then I say something. I mean, it, it's not me blessing, right? This is, this is God's word. And as, as, a, as a mediator, I say, oh, by the way, here's what God says. So this message is, is from the Lord. That's, that's how we see that he has the power to bless. And we also, his name, the divine name is repeated three times in this blessing. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And at the end, it's the Lord who puts his name. Now, now what's, what's the point? The point is that God is the God who holds his people. And, and, he, and he exercises that power. As he holds his people, he acts. And, and how does he act? Well, he acts. He acts by keeping them safe. He has the power. It's like Hebrews chapter 6. Remember, it says, When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. People swear, the writer of Hebrews says, by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So, Whenever someone is going to make this, this oath and swear to someone, they, they would swear by someone greater than themselves. That's why you hear the expression, I, I swear to God. You know, I'm, I'm swearing by 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 uh, God himself, or I, I, I promise on my mother's grave, you know, something sacred to us. Or 
um, my daughter pinky swear, you know, pinky promise. I'm going to pinky promise. Now, we've never enforced that. We've never chopped off any pinkies. But, um, you know, the idea there is I'm, I'm promising by something more important than just this, this promise itself. And, and God swears by himself. He, he's, and he can do that because he's the one who is all-powerful, who holds us. And how does he exercise that power? He exercises that power by, by keeping you safe. I, I love my kids. But there's a, there's a limit to how much I can do for them. I can tell my kids, hey kids, I'm going to keep you safe. And, and I can work to do that. But there, there comes some moment where I reach the end of my ability to act. It's why basing your peace on someone besides God is going to be ultimately futile, right? Because no matter what it is, there's going to be some point, and we, and we can't go beyond that point, and there's going to be places where we, we get pushed back beyond that point, and, and there's nothing we can do. My brother and my sister-in-law and, and their family lives in Houston, and you know, they, they're, they just have the effects there of that hurricane and uh, this, this weekend. I got a text, kind of a family text from my sister-in-law, and uh, she was texting us yesterday and during the day, things are great, things are great, things are fine. Uh, last thing that Wendy and I checked before we went to bed, everything was good, and then this morning I woke up, and there was a, a list of, of new messages. First message began, it's raining harder. Next message, the streets are now flooding. Next message, our neighbor's car just floated into our driveway. Uh, then uh, the, the water is now in the garage. Uh, the water is now uh, seeping into our living room. There's now, our, our, you know, our living room is now flooded. Next message, we are in our upstairs and it is still raining. You'd be praying for the people in Houston, right? There's nothing, my, my, my brother loves his kids, he loves his wife. He wouldn't want them to go through this, but his power is limited. He, he can't keep the waters at bay. He can't stop the rain from coming. And the same is true for you and me. Our, our ability to, to enact change in our lives and other people's lives, to keep it, it, there's a limit to it. And that's why it's so futile to base peace on things that you and I can accomplish. He said, well, Daniel, what, what are the words of, of encouragement from this idea of, of God keeping us safe? There's, there's, there's two things, I'd, two applications that are, that are helpful for me. One is this idea that, that when, when I say that God can keep you safe, God will keep you safe, it means for those of you who are, who are his children, who are in Christ, it means that your eternal destiny is secure. That should be comforting. It also means, and I would also encourage you with this, it also means that you are safe not only in an in eternal sense, in the sense that your eternal destiny is, is secure, but you are also safe in that God is, in this sense, that God is holding you right now and allow, allows you to continue to, to persevere in pursuing Him. And I don't know about you, but for me, that is an incredibly encouraging truth. In other words, it would be very discouraging if I woke up this morning and I looked in the mirror and I said, that's it. This is as good 
as it's going to get in terms of, of my spiritual life. I've, I've arrived. I'm, I'm never going to change. That would be incredibly discouraging to me. Now, I, I share something with you in, in confidence here. I, I trust that none of you will abuse this knowledge. Um, I have a birthday uh, coming up this, this week, and I hope that you, if you want to really care for me, you'll forget that I said that. Um, and not acknowledge it in any way whatsoever. Um, but this, this week is, is kind of a, a bigger birthday. I'm, I'm turning 40 years old, and I know, I know, I don't, I don't look it, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> stop it, you're very kind. The, the point is this. The point is, um, in, a, in a very real sense, um, I not only, <laughs> here's a positive way to look at things, right? Not only am I, not only do I have 40 less years of life than I did when I began life, uh, I'm 40 years more entrenched in, in who I am. And that would be discouraging if, if I thought this was it. But this past couple weeks, as I've been praying about, you know, God, uh, what do you want the next 10 years, if, if you allow, the next 10 years of my life to look like? I, I, wrote, out, I wrote something down, and I'll talk more about this later maybe or write a little article about it because I want to process it. But I, I wrote this down. I said, I, I want my 40s to be characterized by gentleness, thankfulness, and greater holiness as I love God and others through my, my union with Jesus Christ. Now, if, if, if I was just going to rely upon myself to, to make that change, it would be very discouraging because I'm, I'm confident I would not be successful. But, but what can I take hope in? God's holding me. God's holding me. And because God holds me, he's going to keep me safe. He's going to allow me to, to pursue greater holiness. Now, this, this is the first part of the blessing. The Israelites didn't believe that, how different the book of Numbers would have been if they did. Here's the second truth that I want you to see as we, we go through this blessing. Secondly, is this, God loves you, so he will show you grace. God loves you, so he will show you grace. The, the next part of this, this priestly blessing says, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now, now what does that mean? Again, the first part of this line of the poetic blessing contains a truth about God and his movement to you. It says, the Lord make his face shine upon you. What does that expression mean? The idea of your a face shining upon you means, it's kind of like the idea of a smile. It's to be favorably disposed to another person. It's, it's to like them. It's, it's to love them. You've experienced probably the reverse of that. You've, you've been in a conversation with someone, you enter a room and someone kind of glares at you a little bit. You're like, I do not think this person wants me here. Uh, my kids have this thing they call the dad stare. It's, it's you know, they're, they're doing something, they look over at me and I'm kind of doing like, really? Like, what, what's going on? They, they, they sense displeasure, right? But we've also experienced the, a shining face. You see someone you haven't seen in a while and face lights up. When I go home and my, my parents kind of, we open the door and there are my parents and, you know, uh, my dad is, is his face, it's, 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 it's dad face, you know, he's not being overly demonstrative, but it's, it's shining, okay? It's, it's shining for dad. It's glad to see my boy. And then he sees the grandkids and, you know, it goes crazy. <laughs> my mom, no reserve, no reserve on my mom's face. You never, is she happy to see me? Why is she so... 
so tough to read. No, excitement, shining face. As we think about God, do you understand the reality of this blessing? God loves you. May his face shine upon you. May may he be delighted in you. Now you say, well, isn't sometimes God displeased in my sin? And and of course that's true. And of course there's displeasure. But here's what we need to understand. When we are in Christ, God looks upon us and he sees his son Jesus. And he he delights, his face shines as he sees us. Psalm 31.16, make your face shine on your servant. You say, well, what about when I'm disobedient? Here's what I want to encourage you with. Even when you're disobedient, the the beautiful truth of Scripture is that God's face, we can still count on his love for us. Psalm 80 is a a psalm written by the Israelites as they are in exile. And what has happened is this. They've made a covenant with God, and they have broken their covenant with God. And they have broken their covenant with God decade after decade, century after century. God has sent prophets to warn them, to return to relationship with them. Now they're in exile. And in exile, after hundreds of years of failure and disobedience, the Israelites still can count on the reality that God's face will shine upon them, that he, that he loves them, that he wants to look at them with, with delight. The psalmist says in Psalm 80, Verse 3, restore, to, uh, restore us, O God, let your face shine. And then notice, notice there's a connection. Let your face shine that we may be saved. God, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. He loves you. He delights in you. He acts. He saves. Psalm continues. Verse 7, restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Verse 19, same thing. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. That should be incredibly encouraging to you and to me. That God looks upon us, delights in us, his face shines, and and he acts. And how does he act? Through grace. And graciously saves us. A child who is in rebellion to their parents, I think, knows a very important truth. A child who is in rebellion to adult child, young child, a child who is in rebellion to their parents usually knows a very important truth, and that is this. The moment I turn toward my parents, I'm going to see a face of joy and delight as I return. Here's, here's what I want us to think about as we think about this line of this poetic blessing. There are two really significant dangers that we face as, as we come to this truth, that God loves you so he will be gracious to you. One danger that I think we face is for us not to recognize that, that God's dealing with us is gracious. In other words, we don't grasp the truth that God's forgiveness is a gracious forgiveness. We don't understand the the depth of the grace of God. We don't understand this reality that I've been in rebellion to God and he's now acting toward me in a way that we don't deserve. We We don't grasp that. We're like an employee who gets called in to the office by the boss. And the boss says, I've I've heard that you've been embezzling funds from the company. 
And as I've heard it, I've researched it, it is true. I know that you are guilty of this, but you know how much I care about you. I, I'm going to re- restore the funds that you've stolen. We are like the employee who looks at him and goes, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a presumption. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course you're going to be gracious. <laughs> Without understanding the, de- the depth of, oh, this, this is what you've done. <laughs> You've extended to me a grace I do not deserve. But here's the second danger. And I think this is a danger, especially in a church like ours, that that rightly emphasizes God's sovereignty, right, and his holiness, and the fact that God's glory is is supreme over all other things. Those are are good and right things to emphasize, but there's there's a danger we face. You You know what the danger is? The danger is that we miss God's love for us. We miss the truth, potentially, that, that yes, God is doing all things for his glory, but that part of his motivation is his, his love for us. And that one of the ways that his glory is displayed is through this reality that, that he loves those of us who don't deserve it. As we think about God's countenance toward us, it's a, it's a countenance of, of smiling. Now, how does that help us with peace? How is this a helpful thing in our lives? You know what? The kids aren't doing what they're supposed to do, be doing. You don't have your lists organized the way that you want your lists organized. You haven't achieved that project at work that you're trying to organize. That's the bad news, and I can understand why it can be a little stressful, but here's the good news. The God of the universe, who you've been at war with, has made peace with you through the blood of his son Jesus, and now he looks at you, and the God of the universe loves you and smiles. So you got that going for you, right? It's pretty good. Those other things are insignificant compared, right? Here's a third truth. Here's a third truth from this blessing. God notices you, so he will give you peace. This next line of this poetic blessing says, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and and give you peace. What What does that mean? Well, Again, there's a movement of God toward his people. There's something about God's character, and then, and then he acts. And so what is it about God? It's, God is the God who lifts up his countenance. He, he sees. This is, I think, the only time in, in the Old Testament we see this phrase of, of God lifting up his countenance. We, we see uh, other people lifting up their countenance. We see God hiding his face. But what does this mean? It means that God, God notices. He looks. He sees. Have you ever been at a, a restaurant with some people and you sit down to eat at the table and, and everyone kind of pulls out their cell phones and just kind of, I'm just going to sit this here on the edge of the table and then you start having them, oh, and you're talking, and then you kind of look down. Just, just, just one minute. Oh, okay. okay. Then you look up and, and they're just, oh, just, while you were looking at your phone, I just started looking at mine. Yeah, okay, we're good. What were we saying? Sorry. Sorry. Just one last text back. Okay. And then before you know it, someone, you're texting and someone's saying something. I'm sorry, I missed that. I, I, I wasn't paying attention. 
God's never checking his iPhone with whatever you're doing in the universe. God's countenance is never kind of turned away like, uh, uh, oh, I didn't know you were going through that. I wasn't wasn't looking. What's the problem again? You're going through that situation at work that's causing you not to have peace. And it's not like God is, is unaware that you're going through that. God's, God's countenance is upon you. He's, he's aware of that. You're going through that situation with a family member and, and it's a struggle. And it's just this, this relationship with your spouse is causing you such, such heartache. And it's not like God is off somewhere playing Angry Birds, okay? He, he's, a, he's attentive. He knows. His face is lifted up. He's aware. He notices. He notices everything that threatens your peace. And he gives it to you. He gives you the peace. In fact, the reality is this. God knows everything that is going on in your life right now. In fact, not only does God know everything that is going on in your life right now, God knows everything that is going on in your life right now better than you do. He knows every every path that you are going to take, he's being able to consider it for an eternity. And not only does he know every path that you're going to take, he knows every potential path you could have taken and knows that with, with infinite wisdom as well. And what God has said is right now, where you are this morning in the chair that you're sitting at, whatever it is that, that you feel like is threatening your peace, God has said, that is exactly where I, a loving and sovereign God, want you so that you can have that which is of eternal benefit to you. It is not an accident that you are going through what you're going through this morning. A loving God who knows all things and wants to give you peace has put you there. Now, that does not make it easy. And I do not want to minimize the hurt that you're going through this morning and the pain. I want to encourage you. God is aware and your pain is a chapter in a larger story that is about your joy and his glory. How do I get that? How do I get that peace? It says that God, God gives you peace. How does he do it? He does it in his son, Jesus. Notice the Christ-centered nature of the peace. As we go through the, the story, we've, we've talked about it already. That all this is the tabernacle. All this is pointing to Jesus. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. How can a, a sovereign, holy God dwell with his people? How can he tabernacle with his people? How can he look upon us and, and not be angry with us? Well, it's through Jesus. Jesus arrives, and in Luke 2.14, the angels sing to the, say to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Hear that? 
Peace I give you not as the world gives. In other words, the definition of peace, is, peace that the world has is not going to be what God gives. He says, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Then ends, look at verse 27, after the blessing. It says, so they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Let me suggest to you this morning that you have tried other names to be put upon you to achieve peace, wholeness, satisfaction. He said, I, I want, I want the, the name of successful pastor. I've, I've put that on me, and, and it, boy, it, it, didn't, it didn't bring peace. I, I put the name of, of uh, dad of the year, and, and I pursued that, and that name didn't bring me peace. I, I put the, the identity of, of uh, successful mom or or perfect husband or guy who's got it together. I put these different names on me and none of those names fit. None of those names work. I thought that I would have mind like water, peace, satisfaction, wholeness. None of the names worked. What, is, what does God say? Bless them with this blessing and I will put my name upon them. I will bless them. Brothers and sisters, the only way that you and I can achieve the peace that is so, so elusive is to find our identity in Jesus, the one who provides God's peace. To stop other paths of pursuing and say, God, I, I trust in you. I recognize that all joy is found in you. I place my faith in your son Jesus for eternal life, and for peace now, recognizing that you are doing in my life those things that allow me to cling to you and worship you. And I do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you that you're a God who loves us, a God who notices us, a God who holds us, who keeps us, who blesses us. We love you, Father. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.